Welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. This week, we are hosting a discipleship training week, and our focus is the spiritual disciplines. And this is our second year of running the Discipleship Training Week, and we are pumped. It's our first year of offering the content from the DTW uh, on our podcast, and we hope that it's encouraging for you. We hope that it helps to equip you uh, to live a life of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Hello, everyone. Great to see you all. Um, now, just before I begin, so yeah, my name's Dave. I have the joy of leading a church. This is my good buddy, Sam, uh, who's got an incredible story. One day he's going to come to Outpost and share that, I'm sure. Um, and uh, yeah, an amazing man who I'm going to get up to come and uh, share a spoken word in a minute. But just before I do that, I really just, I want to uh, say to everyone that I am, like, as Christy said, I'm not here to deliberately try and offend, but some of the stuff that I say offends people Um, and I have a great conviction that we are living in a world that needs to hear truth and needs to proclaim truth and a world that hates truth and is fighting against truth and so I have this great conviction the Lord has just put on my heart that we're going to be a people who proclaim truth regardless of the outcome so let that sit on you before we get started Um, and really just ask that the Lord would reveal his purpose and his plan in your life. So let me pray over you, then I'm going to invite Sammy up, who's going to just set the scene in a really powerful way. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the chance to gather just in an intimate moment like this, to come around your word and to hear truth. And Lord, we all step aside. We all lay down our stuff. We lay down our past. We lay down our agendas. We lay down our preconceived ideas And we want to hear truth. We want to hear your word. May your word be revealed. I thank you that you are the revealer of truth. Christ is the revelation of truth personified. And so we come to receive from Christ, not from Dave, from the spirit of Christ. So Holy Spirit, come, minister to our hearts. Would you take this message and go far, far, far beyond these walls? Uh, but, but proclaim your truth in this area, not just across McLaren Vale, not just across the church, but all through this nation, that there would be a, there would be a turning back to you. We, we long to see revival, Father. We need revival. This nation needs the latter rain. So would you pour that rain out? And I, I just feel so strongly that it begins right here, right here where the enemy is attacking And the enemy is blinding and perverting a great gift that you have given your people. So we love you, Lord. Speak. Your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Sam, the floor is yours. Thanks, mate. Uh, I will be honest. uh, This is not my spoken word, first of all. I used to be a rapper in a past life. You may find that hard to believe. (laughs) Why are you laughing, bro? Um, and uh, last week, Dave and I were training in the, the Shepherd House of Prayer and Pain. It's what we call his gym in the backyard. And uh, as we train, we listen to we we try to listen to like pump up music and things that are going to get us, you know, amped. And we had this spoken word on, 
and it was just a list of an album of all this spoken word. And this came on with backtracking and we were listening as we were training. He said, man, this would be awesome before my talk next week. So he said, oh, would you want to do it? Because I had just done one on Sunday and I was like, yeah, Dave, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll practice it. Anyway, to be honest, <laughs> I forgot. And on the way here, Dave said, oh, you want to do that spoken word? I was like, oh, yeah, I do. I do, because it is so good. So hopefully I, um, I, do, I give it justice and do it well. So, the, the t- and the funny thing was, the title, what's your title? Sex, Lies, and Lollipops. Sex, Lies, and Lollipops. And no joke, this is not even, we didn't make this up. The title of this one was Sex, Marriage, and Fairy Tales. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, crazy. So... You know the title, let's go. Now, as an old past rapper, I might start to get in a bit of hip-hop, so I'm going to try not to do that. <laughs> Just try to be holy the whole time. <laughs> All right. Disney movies and chick flicks, they've put us in a weird position. They've distorted our reality because we forget they're actually fiction. Because in marriage, we either get better or bitter, either joy or remorse, What we're doing isn't working, just look at the rate of divorce. So how's your marriage? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Marriage seems more like a prison than the paradise they were promised. We thought marriage was supposed to fulfill us and make us happy, not lonely. But the truth is God's first priority is making you holy. You say, no one told me it feels so odd. That dating feels like a vacation while marriage feels like a job. Yet the secret of joy, if we just pull back to the facade, is realizing most problems arise when we elevate our space to God. Without knowing it, we fulfilled Romans 1.25, but our actions, extremes of truth about God for a lie. We've exchanged God for lesser created things. It's like a husband trading his wife for a 2D image on a screen, hoping it'll set us free, justifying the fumes we're choking. Because if your marriage rests on anything but Jesus, it's rested on something broken. Yet guys continually sacrifice their marriage on the altar of sex and lust. I mean, if, we'd, if our dollars were honest, they'd say, in pleasure, we'd trust. Yeah, clearly it's American bills, right? You know, on the bill, they say, in God we trust. In pleasure, we trust. It's deep. So men, grow up. Put down the controller. Oh, you gamers. (laughs) How about you lead her with grace instead of trying to control her? Now, I've never been married, but I'm a product of one that was non-existent. So don't tell me I don't understand the pain. Don't tell me I don't get it. So for the singles, become friends first before you ever become lovers Pursue Jesus as your foundation before you get under the covers. Because believe me, a strong friendship before marriage will make a good marriage after. Marriage isn't just sex, it's conversation and laughter. I mean, some spouses barely even like each other and the marriage seems like a dead end. You might share a checkbook and a house, but are you actually friends? I mean, if marriage isn't a commitment, then what's the point of the vows we say Till death do us part, really, means until the feelings go away. Like, I'll stay with him, but only until it gets tough and my love starts to shift. But I say, imagine if a parent took that perspective with their kids. 
<laughs> Do you imagine? Like, can't you see it? The minute the kid spills something on the floor, the mum says, forget it. I don't even love you anymore. No, it's just like marriage. To last, you need the strength from above because it's not love that sustains the promise. It's the promise that sustains the love. I mean, think about it. Out of anyone, who's actually had the right to leave? God had every reason in the world that he still came for you and me. And on the cross, he paid it all, took our shame and set us free. When he could have called the legions of angels, he chose to stay on that tree. From the cross, he looks you in the eye and says, I'm taking this from my bride. When you trust in me, you no longer have to hide. Because of me, it is finished. You've been made new. You're spotless. You're blameless. There's no sin in you. Because his death was a proposal, he wanted you no matter the cost. Where some guy proposes on his knee, Jesus proposed on a cross. Oh, yeah. Oh, dad moment right there. Mm. So read Ephesians 5, whether husband or wife, wife honor your husband, husbands give up your life. Just like Jesus gave himself up for his bride, the church, so men lead by serving and putting her first. So die to self, put your flesh on a life sentence because you don't fall out of love as much as you fall out of repentance. Yeah, yeah. How good, hey? So there was so many mic drop moments just then. And uh, that was called Sex, Marriage and Fairy Tales. And as Sam was not joking, like, that literally just came on the old playlist as we're talking about this moment. And uh, we didn't even know the title of that until about two minutes ago in the car park where we're... (laughs) And we're like, that's called sex, marriage and fairy tales? What the heck? Anyway. All right. So, Sex, Lies and Lollipops is the title of this message. And again, just another, I I get excited. I don't apologize for getting excited. So, if I start yelling at you, it's not because I'm angry. It's just because I love Jesus and I love you and I want you to just fall in love with him. So, here's what we're going to do. And also, like, I'm an interactive person. I was really hot trot. Like, I don't know what the dynamic here is, but you are welcome to shout and yell and do whatever you want to do and talk. So, go for that. Uh, You know, let's do it. Hebrews 13 verse 4 is where we're going. If you've got a Bible, grab it. And this will be a bit Bible study-ish. We will jump around the scriptures. The other place we're going to spend a lot of time is in Genesis. Okay? Raid the cupboard. Here we go. Hebrews 13.4. As a backdrop for everything we're going to talk about with sex, lies and lollipops. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. One verse... 
one simple little verse that in this day and age is really highlighting, in fact, I would say it is even cutting into and creating the chasm between Christ and culture in our world today. This right here, you read this in a public place, in a public sector, you're going to get punched in the face. (laughs) Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Father, speak, your children are listening. Open this word to us, Lord. Let us catch that revelation in Jesus' name. Amen. As I sat with that text some months ago now and feeling like the Lord just speaking to us about what it is that he wants to say around relationships, I was reminded of a a story of when I was a kid and I was reminded of, I used to go to grandma and grandpa's house. Who loves their grandma and grandpa? Anyone still got a grandma and grandpa around the place? When you're a kid, who loved going to grandma and grandpa's house? Why? Because they spoil you rotten. You with me? And so my grandma passed away when I was very young and I used to go to grandpa's house and grandpa was a man after my own heart. We'd walk in there, we'd watch the cricket together, we'd have Viennetta ice cream. Who knows what I'm talking about there? It's like the sheet of ice cream, the sheet of chocolate, ice cream, chocolate, ice cream, chocolate. Oh, it's amazing. So we'd have Viennetta ice cream at about 11 o'clock in the morning. We'd watch a bit more cricket. Then we'd have, some, we'd have some lunch with a bit more ice cream. And then we'd have biscuits. And he'd pull out the cake and he'd always say, make sure you eat your icing before the cake in case you die before you get to it. Like he'd, he just had these great metaphors for life. And then he had this, he had this one sort of drawer which was filled with lollipops right and what grandpa would always do is these this drawer was towards the the end of the house as we were leaving and dad would come to pick us up and as dad came to pick us up dad my parent my my mother's a naturopath so lollies are not something that we got to (laughs) to enjoy if I was sick have some myrrh (laughs) quite literally have some herbs that'll scare the living daylights out of that just give me some antibiotics, mum. But that's how we lived. We, we had green barley. We had veggie juice. I'm still thankful for it. And I still have... It's good now. But we were hipster before hipster was a thing. We had kombucha tea when it was just a big jug with this ugly fungus in it. Now it's bottled and people are making money out of it. My mates used to come over and be like, what the heck is this? So we lived in that environment. And so dad would come to pick us up from grandpa's house... And Grandpa would be just, try, like he'd have this thing where he'd open the drawer and he'd take out the lollipop and he'd just try and sneak it into the back pocket, right? And every now and then he'd succeed, the lollipop would go into the pocket after a day of ice cream and biscuits and whatever else and you'd hop in the car and Dad would drive and you'd just pull out the lollipop and just pop it in the mouth. <laughs> and you'd be like, you beauty. Not realising there's consequences that comes with that when you get home. But anyway, but then there was always this, this moment where... Sometimes grandpa would get the lollipop and he'd try to put it in the pocket and dad would see. And in that moment, we would have an argument. Grandpa being like, oh, Bill, just let them have it. And dad being like, dad, they don't need another lollipop. You probably fed them full of sugar and they'd go on and on. And grandpa would be like, oh, Bill, it's my house. Let them have it. And Bill would just carry on and he'd be like, no, they don't need it. And they'd almost wrestle about it. 
back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And oftentimes, I'd be left there with the lollipop in hand, looking at Grandpa, looking at Dad, looking at Grandpa, and just being like, hmm, what should I do? Because technically, I'm in Grandpa's house, which means I'm under Grandpa's rules, which means I can have the lollipop. Because as he's saying, it's my house, Bill. You can have it. But in about five metres of walking, I'll no longer be in Grandpa's house. I'll be back under Dad's domain. And if I choose in that moment to take the lollipop, I know that there'll be a consequence for taking said lollipop when in Dad's authority. And so you sit there and you've got this little moment in time where you have a choice to make. Am I going to take the lollipop or am I not going to take the lollipop? Is it good for me to take the lollipop in this moment or is it not good for me to take the lollipop in this moment? And the fundamental question is whose rules should I follow? Who should I listen to in this moment? Should I listen to Grandpa and just enjoy the lollipop or should I listen to Dad and follow his way? And often when it comes to sex and relationships in the world in which we live, we need to recognise that as a moment in time where the world is shouting a particular message. They're saying, what does it matter? It's good and it's pleasing. Just take the bloody lollipop. Just take it. Just consume it. It's fine. Go for it. But then there's dad who knows what's best for us, who knows what it's going to be like when we have to visit the spiritual dentist later on, (laughs) who knows what it's doing to our souls, who speaks a different word. And we live in a world where this voice is incredibly loud and everyone's shouting it from the rooftops. You cannot go more than five seconds of walking anywhere or looking at anything on a screen without seeing something, some sort of message being burned into our subconscious, even walking around a shopping centre. you live, Like where we live up in the Adelaide Hills, you walk into Mount Barker Shopping Centre and there is just like, as you walk in, lingerie shop. And what do they have on the front window? A floor-to-ceiling picture of a woman wearing almost nothing. It's everywhere. And it's shouting a message. And the church for so long has been so silent because we're like, oh, we can't talk about that, this is taboo. You know, no, no, don't talk about that. Just put that under the rug. Just pretend it's not a real thing. Pretend it's not an issue. They'll be right. They'll make good decisions. I'm sure they will. Let's just, you know. And basically what we get told is sex is bad. Don't do it. Don't talk about it. But I don't think that's very helpful because I think when someone's shouting so loudly, you actually need dad to stand up and start shouting back. And the interesting thing is dad has established a church and put his spirit in the church that we might be his voice declaring a different message. That's what we're called to do. And so we have a great conviction, and I have had a great conviction of late, that it's time to start shouting this message, come what may. And if it causes offence, it causes offence, but we say it with grace, and we say it with gentleness, and we say it with respect, but it's time that the different view was presented. Because at the moment, our world doesn't even have a different view. All it hears is one And the other view needs to be presented. So today is about presenting a different view. Today is about talking about dad's rules.
It's about talking about dad's view and why. Why dad's view is worth listening to, okay? That's where we're at. Um, which brings us back to Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. One little verse, one little verse. And really what it, it speaks to this incredible moment in time and my head is full at the moment. We're about to start a series on Daniel and God's opening up some incredible stuff around Babylon and the spirit of Babylon and what the spirit of Babylon's doing to this generation. Oh, I can't wait to preach that, but I've got to try and focus here. Here's the question that this poses. Who gets to define what constitutes marriage? Who gets to define what constitutes sexuality? Who gets to define what constitutes gender? Who gets to make those decisions? Is it just, is it society, is it the world, or is there an author who wrote this stuff into existence who actually gets to define what these things are, right? And so, if we assume that there is a creator who created with intent, if we take a moment just to assume that, then we can start to walk and and follow that and say, well, what is the designer's design, right? And so the best place for us to start is actually to, in, in the conversation of marriage and sex and relationships is actually to follow Julie Andrews' advice and start from the very beginning. Why? Because it's a very good place to start. For those of you who are Julie Andrews fans, some of you are too young, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's called The Sound of Music, people. Let's start from the very beginning. So with that, let's go to Genesis. And I want you just for a moment to to imagine, to take a very logical, to take a very scientifically appropriate and reasonable position that page one is true. Because this is a very logical position to take. We're going through university and the spirit of Babylon is trying to convince us that A different view is fact. Actually, there's more fact to support page one being true than there is to support Darwinism. And any scientist worth half their salt can actually acknowledge that and say there's significant gaps and yet it gets taught as fact. No, it's a theory in the same way that this is a theory. And there's, you know, we, no one actually knows. We can't go back to the beginning of creation and say, well, what happened? But if you look at the evidence, page one, page two and page three are incredibly logical, reasonable positions to take. And so if we assume that page one is real, if we assume for one minute that actually there's more to this earth than two particles of dust colliding randomly, no one ever says, well, where did the dust come from in the first place? So if we take the logical position that actually nothing can come from nothing, that something has to come from something. And if we take the logical position that maybe the fact that we have this incredibly detailed, intricate planet that sits at just the most perfect axis, hanging in the vastness of eternal space at just the most perfect distance from an all-consuming ball of fire, that 
it doesn't get too close that we burn up. It doesn't get too far away that we freeze. It actually sits in orbit with all these other planets, all spinning at just the right speed, at just the right distance to keep us at just the right place that life can exist at this one point in the infinite mass of the universe. If we assume that just maybe all of that didn't come randomly and haphazardly, but actually exploded out of the mouth of God... then just maybe we can actually begin to see what is the designer's design, what is his purpose in creation. Because if there is a God who did that, if there is a creator who intentionally put these things into place, then would it not stand to reason that the same God who put that into place in such detail and and created you and you and you and you and created life and he he made it so that that plant out there relies on the sun and happens to consume carbon dioxide and release oxygen which is just what we happen to need to be able to survive and like if we assume that God would do all of this and if sexuality and relationships is such a massive issue don't you think he knows that And don't you think a God who would do all of that and be so detailed, knowing how significant sexuality is to his creation, don't you think he would reveal his purpose around sexuality to that creation? Don't you think he'd do that? Isn't that what a designer does? Creates a blueprint? Isn't that what an author does? He writes and introduces the purpose and the characters and the plot line. And it's fascinating to me that if we take that position, that page one is true, then actually we see something fascinating about sex and relationships. And we realise that our creator understands that we (laughs) need truth revealed but more than that we're pretty uh foolish and we tend to stop reading (laughs) we read a few pages and we stop and we jump bits and so he's actually going all right I know they're going to stop reading after a few chapters so I better put it right at the beginning (laughs) I'm gonna I want to make sure they know this is so important this is going right at the beginning And if you have a look at this, let's have a look. What do we see? What do we see in the designer's design? First thing I want you to see right here is opposites that go together. Opposites that go together. If you read through chapter one, what you're going to see is heaven and earth, light and darkness, morning and evening, land and sea, sun and moon, plants and animals. Over and over again, opposites that go together, opposites that go together. God's goodness, he says, as he does this, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. Are you with me? He creates and he goes, it is good. He creates the next thing, opposites that go together and that's good. And so he says his goodness is actually revealed in opposites that intentionally were created to go together. There's something incredibly powerful about that. And so when it comes to sex and marriage, just maybe it's got something to do with opposites that go together because when you come to the pinnacle of creation which is the end point where he creates male and female. And he says it multiple times, male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The reason you would say it multiple times is because it's significant and he wants you to catch that. 
male and female, he created them. What does that mean? It means there is a gender and it's called male. There is a gender and it's called female. Gender is not fluid. God made it, male and female. That is how he, already some of you are like, oh, jeepers, that's controversial. (laughs) Are you allowed to say that? (laughs) I've been fascinated by this of late. You know, I was talking to someone the other day and we were talking about if someone comes up uh, with an eating disorder, someone's anorexic, and they come up to me and they are clearly biologically extremely underweight, but they identify as overweight. They say, I'm overweight. Our society will look at them and say, no, something's wrong in your mind. You are underweight. Biologically, physically, you are underweight, malnourished. You need help. Let me help you. But when someone comes who is clearly biologically female, XX chromosome, and they say, no, no, I'm a male, all of a sudden, very intelligent, thoughtful people go, oh, sorry, you are. Instead of going, no, buy it, like you're standing in front of me, something's wrong with your mind, you need help, let me help you. Because this is, you are not that. I told you I might offend you and I say that in love. I'm not trying to offend, I'm just trying to bring God's design. I'm not writing the letter, just delivering it. Male and female, male and female. God's goodness exists in opposites that go together. And so some of you hear that and you're like, cool, that's good for me. Opposites that go together, you and me, baby, we're nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. You're like, (laughs) opposites that go together, it's free reign. Come on, come on. And you get excited by that, but the problem is that you and me, baby, are actually so much more than mammals. Let's go to Genesis 2.7. I want to show you something. God has created and he's put these opposites that go together all through it. And he says it's good. He says it's good. He says it's good. He says it's good. And then he creates male and he creates female and he says something different. He says it's very good. Not just good, very good. And then in chapter 2 verse 7, It gives some interesting detail. It says, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So here we have God creating a man and he he takes what is dust. And the thing is, as he forms man, unlike everything else, everything else in creation, God spoke and it was. He spoke and it was. He spoke and it was with man, with male and female. Let's start with male. He actually handcrafts him. It's different. Handcrafts him from the dust of the earth. But in the handcrafting, it's still form, like still lifeless. It's not just that God spoke and it was. No, he's handcrafted, but then we're just lying there lifeless. We've got the physical, but there's no light. There's no life. Life comes when God breathes into that physical form and that physical form stands up. Now, the Hebrew word here is the word nishma. Everyone say nishma. 
And what you see is nishma is this beautiful Hebrew word. It actually, it, it means the collision of spirit and physical to create a soul. We would call it a soul. And the Hebrews use this word nishma. You see, you've got spirit nefesh. But as this nefesh is breathed into the human body, it gives rise and, and birth to the nishma. And what I need you to see here is that we are not just mammals. We are not like anything else in all creation. We are not just a physical form. Your physical, like people love to talk about the physical and the spiritual, and we like to separate them. You cannot separate them. The part of a human being, we are, we are body, mind, and soul. We are, we are three in one because we're made in God's image, and He is three in one. And so we have something within us which is supposed to point to our Creator. Which means when we, when we do something spiritually to our, to our soul, to our inner being, it actually affects us physically. And when we do something physically, it actually impacts us spiritually. You can't, like, this is why raising hands in worship is a great step. When I was young, I grew up in a nighting church and we didn't raise our hands. And I just remember I'd, when God sort of grabbed my heart for the first time, because I didn't understand it before that, I remember being in a worship and I was like, Man, I want to raise my hand, but I'm not going to do that. Come on, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, and they talk, you know, you hear all those things about, you know, holding the microwave and doing the frisbee and all that sort of stuff. But I was just like this, and I was like, I've got to do it. I've got to, I'll never forget the day I just went like this. Bang! Just put it up as fast as I could. And there was something about that moment. I was just, the physical me was responding to the spiritual reality that was occurring inside me. I was like, oh, it's good. And this is the thing about the human form, the human being physical, spiritual, emotional, everything's interconnected. That's why when you look at someone who's struggling with depression, you look at someone who emotionally is struggling, what do you see on their countenance? Sam does this great talk where he talks about the fact that when you're smiling, it will actually, you can't, what is that? You can't physically actually think of something negative at the same time. It's just the nature of how we're made because they're connected. Everything's connected. Yeah. <laughs> When you're truly, like, when we're deeply sad, we have a physical response. When we're deeply happy, happy, we have a physical response because that is what it means to be a human being. What that means for us in terms of sex and relationship and marriage and these sorts of things, it means sex is not an animalistic act. It is a deeply spiritual encounter. Yeah? And so when you say, oh, it's just sex, how many of you have heard that? I've heard that a lot in my life. It's just sex. Just do it. And I blame Friends for this, the TV series Friends, because it was the first sitcom where it just became all about sex. Sex, 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 sex. And all of a sudden, it started to normalize this. Oh, just go and have sex. There's this hilarious episode where someone talks about, you know, I think it's Rachel talking to Joy. She goes, you have a lot of sex. And he goes, what, today? Some, not a lot. And it's just normalized this idea of just sleep around and just enjoy it because sex is just something that you do. But you don't. It is a lie. Sex is a deeply spiritual activity. It is a deeply, deeply spiritual experience. And so what is the purpose in this? Let's go on to chapter 2, verse 20 and 23. I hope you've got time tonight because we're... Just diving in. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. 
So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. I just want to pause and segue for a second because this is, I think this is pivotal when it comes to understanding how you should be treated in a relationship. First and foremost, the woman was taken from the man's side, not from his foot. Women are not to be trampled on. We have this, you know, there's almost this movement in some churches where it's like, I'm the man and therefore, like, complementarianism is given a bad name because we, we don't understand what it actually is. We see it and it's taught in some churches as a man dominating a woman. Therefore, I step on her and she does whatever I want her to do. Submit. That is not biblical manhood. The woman doesn't come from a man's foot, but at the same time, a woman doesn't come from a man's head. A woman isn't supposed to be lording herself over a man, the feminist movement. That's not, what, that's not biblical womanhood. No, biblical womanhood is where a woman comes from a man's side. It's symbiotic, side by side. Yeah? And watch this, same but different. As we look at what we saw in Genesis chapter 1, where it's opposites that go together, same but different, that whole idea of night and day, light and, they're about the same thing, but they're different, same here, man and woman, side by side, symbiotic, same but different. The Hebrew word is ish and ish ah. I love that. Like man is ish and woman's ish ah, because that's what a woman is, special, the, the, the final point in God's creation, the pinnacle of creation from a man's side, not to be dominated, not to be lording it over a man. You see, there's something about uh, biblical manhood and biblical womanhood that we've lost in the church. I'm not trying to be like a sexist here, but the truth is that the record bench press for a man is about 150 kilos heavier than the record for a woman, right? It's just how God has designed us. There is something about a man who is supposed to have his arm around his woman protecting her in the physical sense, it's part of how God has made things. But at the same time, how does the rib protects the heart? So it's not that a woman's this weak and sipid character. No, she protects as well in a different manner. It's side by side. We walk the journey of life together. Different roles, same but different. And we need to rediscover that as the church because it's a beautiful thing when, it, when, it's, when it's walked out as it's supposed to be. That was the sidetrack. Verse 24 and 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Everyone say one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. For this reason. That is why. This is why. For this reason. For what reason? The fact that there is now bone of bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. The fact that there is ish and ish are the same. The fact that it's same but different. The fact that it's male and female. All of this. For this reason. For this reason. Why did God make us like that? Why did God make male and female? Why? That we might leave our father and mother and be united to each other and become one flesh. There's some intentionality in what God is doing. Four things I want to show you in this. Four things in Genesis 2 about the designer's design for sex and marriage. Are you with me? Get the pens out. Here's the first thing. Sex is the bonding together of a one flesh 
relationship. One flesh. One flesh. Not five flesh. Not six flesh. Not however many flesh you can get. Hi, Shane. Sex is the bonding together of a one flesh relationship. That's the designer's design. That's how God made it. And the word flesh there is the word bios in the Greek, which we know to mean biology, which means life. Did you catch that? Normally I'd be running around right here, getting excited. Bios, flesh, life. What did we just say about the nature of life, the nature of a human life? Is it literally just my physiology or is it deeper than that? It's deeper. It's soul. It's emotional. So sex is the bonding together of a soul. It is a soul tie. That's what sex does. If you sleep with someone, it is not just an animalistic act. It is a bonding together of two souls in the most extraordinary, magnificent way. That's how God designed it. Sex is supposed to be super glue between a male and a woman in marriage. It's an act that when you get married and you say your vows and you covenant to do life with one another, sex is the thing that constantly brings you and aligns you together. If this was like a young youth event, what I'd do is I'd get a blue piece of paper and a pink piece of paper and I'd put the glue and I'd stick it together and I'd leave it to the side. And at the end I'd go, right, what happens when we try and pull this apart? And the pink's left on the blue and the blue's left on the pink because it's soul tied. You can't separate them without being one being left on the other. That's what sex does. But what we're doing in our culture is I'm soul tying with that person and that person and that person and that person and that person. And what's happening to our identity is it's being torn from pillar to post. Just look at the world in which we're living where there's... Suicide is at an all-time high. Mental health is at an all-time high. We've got... Every man and his dog is suffering severe anxiety. Depression is at an all-time high. I wonder why. It's because no one knows who they are anymore because our identity is being connected with everyone else. We're carrying everyone else's stuff on us because we're sleeping around with everybody. Whereas if we would recognize the goal of sex and the intention of sex to be a one-union relationship, all of a sudden we would see that I'm becoming one with you and I actually have my identity is found in who he says I am and we make each other in Christ. It's a one flesh relationship. Now there's grace in that. We're going to get to that in a minute if you've gone down that path. So don't, please hear me. I'm not here judging. I'm just trying to pack, unpack right here. What is the designer's design? The designer's design, dad's rules, is that sex would be the place of a bonding together of a one flesh relationship. Number two, sex is to lead to reproduction. You're like, oh, <laughs> thanks for stating the obvious, champ. <laughs> but I want you to see something. It's not just about reproduction in terms of reproducing children. It's about reproducing the model by which God's purpose and plans would be manifest on the earth. Watch this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. There are no mothers and fathers at this point. God's made Adam and he's made Eve. That's it. And he says to them, 
That is why, for this reason, the fact I've made you different, I've made you similar, I've made you same but different, so that we're going to establish a family unit. And the family, the nuclear family is going to be the means through which my purpose and my glory and my promise and my truth is proclaimed from generation to generation to generation. All through scripture, we've individualized the gospel so much in our world because we're all about me, all right? But actually, if you read the Bible, God's all about his people. He talks about generations. He talks about a nation. He talks about a church, And so God is in the business of doing this. He says, the means through which I do that is the nuclear family. That's the system I'm setting up. And sex is the way through which that gets done. Number three, marriage, sex, this union is supposed to mirror God's love for his church. Oh, that's so good. Page two, chapter two is quoted all throughout the New Testament. You know, every time Jesus was questioned about sex and marriage, do you know what he did? He goes, guys, let me take you to page two. When Paul got questioned about sex and relationships, do you know what he did? He goes, guys, let's go back to page two. Because he wants you to understand that sex and marriage is actually supposed to be a picture of God's love for his church. Ephesians 5, Paul sits there and he talks at depth about this, the church and Christ. He talks about the bridegroom and the bride. And he goes on and on about this beautiful relationship of, the, of Jesus being the bridegroom and us being the bride. And he goes, this is a very complicated you know, thing when he's talking about marriage. He goes, but this is what it's about. It's about God's love for his church. It's about the fact that God would come to his people and would bind himself to his people, that he would suffer on a cross, that he would give everything that we might be united to him in his death and therefore rise with him in his life. This is what it's about. And marriage is supposed to be that picture. When people look at marriage, they're supposed to be, oh, that's right, that's what God's love's like. When they see a husband dying to self and loving his wife as Christ loves the church, and they see a wife submitting to her husband, not because it's like, I'll do whatever you say. No, it's easy to submit when you've got a guy dying to himself for you. Why would you not submit to them? Heck yes, I'm in because he's dying every day. For you. And when you look at that and you look at that relationship, you're supposed to go, wow, that's what God's done for me. That's what he's done for me. He's taken me as his bride. He's going he's to draw me with himself. I'm going to be seated with Christ on high for all of eternity, judging even the angels. That's what he's done for us. And that's what marriage is supposed to represent. It's not supposed to be a broken, battered, blistered thing that we see in our world today. It's supposed to mirror God's love for the church. Number four, sex in marriage produces shameless pleasure. Chapter 1, verse 28. This is the first thing God says. The very first thing God says. Watch this. You're going to love this. He creates Adam, he creates mankind. God blessed them and said to them, the very first thing, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
You didn't get it. God creates Adam and Eve and he just goes, go on, you two. <laughs> he's like, go have some fun. I love to picture this. I like, there's God in the garden. He's made him and Adam's like this. He's looking at Eve and he's like, oh, yeah. And Eve's there looking at Adam and she's like, oh, yeah. And God's like, now let me just talk to you about some stuff. And they're just looking at each other and they can't keep their eyes off each other. He's like, I want to talk to you about faithfulness and I want to talk to you about grace. And, I, and they're just looking at each other. He goes, do you know what? Stuff it. Go and just do it. <laughs> Go and enjoy each other for a while and we'll get back to naming the animals later, you know? <laughs> it's like this beautiful, incredibly shameless pleasure. That's what he made it for. I love it. It says that they were naked. Chapter 2, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Sex in marriage is fantastic. It's wonderful. It was created to be this glorious thing. I'll never forget my teacher was the most awkward moment when you're in high school and your teacher comes in and he goes, gee, I love sex. Marcel Riken, we were doing biology and I remember just going, this is the most awkward thing, but this is what he was trying to say. He's like, sex is magnificent. God made it for a reason and it's supposed to be good. I'm not trying to be like, I don't know what the word is because my mind's in a different place. Do you know, when God created you and he created you, God didn't have like this bunch of nerve endings left over where he's like, what am I, what am I going to do with these, Sam? I know, I'll just chuck them down there. That's not what he did. He was very intentional. It feels good for a reason because there's a designer who designed it that it would feel good. Because in marriage, it's supposed to produce shameless pleasure. Within the bounds of marriage, it's like, you know, whatever edifies the marriage, enjoy each other, have fun with each other. Because it's a wonderful gift that God has given us. But here's the thing I want you to understand. People are going around in our world today and they're talking about safe sex, like you've Safe sex gets talked about all the time. I was at a, at a function with a bunch of parents one year before a year 12 formal, and one of the dads was like, oh, I'm going to go and buy some condoms and hand it out to all the boys because safe sex is important. I'm like, what are you doing? There's no such thing as safe sex. You can stop reproduction, but sex is not ever safe. The bonding of flesh, the bonding of a soul, the commitment of two lives coming together. There's nothing safe about that. Sex is the most vulnerable, exposed, raw, scary thing anyone can ever do. It is never, ever, ever safe. But it's glorious in marriage. Sex is like nuclear fission, right? In the right setting, you put it in the right place and it will light up a city and give energy to everyone. It becomes this real blessing, yeah? But if you take it out of the reactor, out of the place that it wasn't intended for, that same thing that gives light and hope to a city becomes the very bomb that causes that city's destruction, And we've taken sex out of the reactor and it's destroying us because we're not following the designer's design. We're chasing pleasure and what we're getting is brokenness. Hedonism is rife throughout our world. Everyone's just chasing the next pleasure and the next pleasure and the next pleasure because we've taken it out of the reactor and it's killing us. 
put it in the reactor, put it in the bounds of sex, and it's glorious. Because that's how the designer designed it. So the designer designed sex to be the bonding of a one flesh relationship. He designed sex to be about reproducing, yes, children, but yes, his plans in the world. He designed sex to mirror God's love for his church, and he designed sex to produce shameless pleasure. But something has happened. Because when I look at the world, I don't see this, do you? I see it in places. But the vast majority of the world in which we live, something's gone wrong. And it makes sense because if we're to take page one and two as true, then we should take page three as true. And if we turn to page three, we see something very interesting. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you'll surely die. You will not die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. Watch this. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, circle good, and pleasing to the eye, circle pleasing, and desirable for gaining wisdom, circle desirable, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In the space of seven verses, two people who stood in the presence of God, naked and unashamed, are now hiding from God and completely ashamed. Seven verses. Naked and unashamed. Just imagine that. God, you, me, nudity, no shame. And now they're completely ashamed. Why? Because there's a liar in the garden. And I want you to understand that in this moment, right here, right now, there's Eve, there's the serpent, there's God's way, and there's the lollipop. Who are you going to believe? Eve's standing there, there's the lollipop, there's the fruit. Am I going to take that fruit? It's good. It's pleasing. Gee, it's desirable. I want it. Dad says I shouldn't take it. Sometimes I think in our minds we get so single-minded and we look at that fruit and we're like, that's the thing, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And we forget the fact that God has given us a garden that's full of beauty and goodness. And so Eve's there and she's like, there's a liar, there's the Lord, there's the lollipop. What am I going to do? And Eve in this moment of weakness listens to the liar and she takes the lollipop. 
and in taking and consuming the lollipop, humanity comes under a curse. And the world in which we live, the designer's design, comes under a curse. And this is what the liar does. The liar will whisper over and over and over again. And what he does is he whispers counterfeit, counterfeit, counterfeit. What God creates is good. What God creates is magnificent. What Satan does is he counterfeits everything. Satan does not have a creative bone in his body. All he does is he takes what God made and he counterfeits it and he corrupts it. Because he knows that if he can just corrupt what the Father has made as good, that we might just believe his lie, we might take that lollipop and we might walk in the destruction that he's destined for us. And so that's what we see in our world. We see this curse that we're living under. And so we see the curse. Are you with me? Can we carry on in Genesis chapter 3? Let's start from verse 11. And God says to Eve, he says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? Sorry, to, to Adam. And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband And he will rule over you. And on and on he goes. And we're seeing now the fruit of this, the fruit of the curse where we are longing to fill up our identity in others. And if you're the enemy and you know the power of sex and you know the power of marriage and you know the designer's design, you know why he made it, you know the power of that, is that not exactly what you would do? seek to take this incredible gift that God has given and pervert it. Take it out of a reactor. So we come under the curse, but here's what I want to show you that God just spoke so strongly to me as I was preparing for this because when God actually sets this up and he says, don't eat from that tree, why does he say? Because I think in our world, and I know this is true for me, the amount of times in my life, like I've got friends who are walking in same-sex relationships and I love them dearly. I've got family who are walking in same-sex relationships and I love them dearly. I've got plenty of friends who are sleeping around as much as they can. And the question at the end of the day you say is you look like, Why is it bad? Why can't I have that fruit? Because it's good and it's pleasing and it's desirable. And you sense that this is exactly what the enemy said to Eve. Is Eve standing there and the enemy's speaking these lies to Eve and Eve's looking at the fruit. She's looking at the lollipop. She's looking at the temptation and she's going, it's good and it's pleasing and it's desirable. And she's like, why can't I have it? 
And the enemy's probably there going, yeah, why can't you have that? Go on, just take it. What's wrong with it anyway? And then he starts to say stuff to her. He's like, come on. You know, what sort of a God would say no? What sort of a God would say deny your desires? What sort of a God would say you can't have what you want? Do you know what you should do? What you should do is you should get rid of him and you should set yourself up as God. You could become just like him. Actually, if you take that, you're going to be like that. You're going to be your own God. You're going to know you get to determine good from evil. You get to determine right from wrong. Why should he determine right from wrong? Why would we follow his rules and his laws? They're overbearing. Look, it's good. It's pleasing. It's desirable. Go and take it. And this is what he does. And he says it to Eve and Eve buys into the lie. And we do it every single day. Where we too, we listen to the liar. We're like, yeah, why can't I? And look at humanity. Look at us. This is the fundamental sin, pride. We have set ourselves up as God. Hedonism, the worship of pleasure, the worship of self is rife in our world. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, billion dollar industries primarily based on the idol of self-worship. That's what it's all about. At the helm of it all is a liar from the garden. It's good, it's pleasing, it's desirable, take it. And so Eve does. And she comes under the curse and humanity comes under the curse. But here's the question I want you to understand, I want you to think about here is who will you believe? Will you believe the liar or will you believe the Lord? Because in this moment, the liar is very loud. The liar is selling the fruit. He's saying, take it, take it, take it, buy into it. What does the Lord know? And all the Lord does is says, don't do it. And she's like, why shouldn't I do it? And we'd expect a thesis, wouldn't we? He's the designer. He made it. Why does he not sit there and go, well, this is, I'll give, me, give you 10 points as to why you shouldn't do this. And so we go to the scripture and we're like, he doesn't say. He doesn't give me the why. He just says, if you do it, you'll die. But he doesn't say why. Why will I die? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with that fruit? Why can't I have it? Tell me, God. What's wrong with it? Please, just explain it to me. And he goes, because you'll die. You're like, yeah, but why will I die? Because you will. But what do you mean I will? I've just, I've, that's all he gives us. And you're left with a question, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the liar or are you going to trust the Lord? Are you going to come under grandpa's rules or are you going to come under dad's rules? Who knows best? Who made it? We might not like it. I'll tell you, I've had plenty of times where I've said to God, like, it, life would be so much easier if, you know, I love, I love my family members. I love them dearly. And I hate the fact that they know I had this conversation with one of them just the other day and he was like, would you marry him? I'm like, no, I love you. And I, re I genuinely love your partner. He's a beautiful man. I love him and I love you and I love having relationship with you, but I just don't think what you're doing is of God. And I wish it was. I wish it was. I wish it was allowable, but it's not. And in this moment, I have to trust the Lord. I have to trust the fact that He is God. I have to trust the fact that He knows best. 
I have to trust dad's rules because he's the designer and he's the one who made it. And I have to trust the fact that when he says it's going to destroy us and kill us and lead to destruction, that he knows what he's talking about. Because he's never, ever let me down before. There's been times when I've been disappointed. And I'm like, God, where are you? What are you doing? But fundamentally, the cross stands at the precipice of history saying, I have come through for you. I've made a way. I've broken the curse. I've set you free. I've redeemed you from this curse of sin and death. So why would you keep walking under it by taking this fruit when I've made a way for you to walk in my freedom? Who are we going to believe, the Lord or the liar? And really, that's the question that confronts the church. Because what the church is doing right now is the church is listening to the liar. Because the liar is in our culture. And what happens is the culture is so loud that the church starts to go, oh yeah, maybe, maybe they're right. And we want to be loving and we want to be kind and we want to be gracious because they're good things and therefore we don't want to hurt anyone and we don't want to offend anyone and don't want to upset anyone and therefore let's just say that it is good because it's good and it's pleasing and it's desirable. And so what we're doing is we're welcoming the fruit into the church when the church was supposed to be the vessel through which the promise of God is proclaimed on the earth. The church was supposed to be the means who says no. God knows best and we love you and we welcome you into relationship and we are going to wrap you up because you need hope and you need rescue and you need love and Christ died for you and he loves you. And yes, you might struggle with same-sex attraction your entire life and that might be a horrendous cross that you have to bear. But guess what? The same God who tells you not to take that fruit, who tells you to deny yourself, the same God that he lied about and said, how could a God, a loving God do that? That same God denied his own self. That same God came and he dropped any selfish ambition. And he sat, he, the, the same liar sat him on the rooftop and said, I'll give you all of this. Come and just bow down your knee to me. I'll give you everything. I'll give you all the fruit. I'll give you everything if you just bow your knee to me. And you can't tell me that Jesus, fully man, fully flesh, did not in that moment go, man, that's a tempting offer. You're telling me I don't have to go to the cross and suffer and die to fulfill the Lord's plan? Are you telling me that I could just have it all? That's a tempting offer, but what does he do? He denies himself. And then he says to us, he says, you now do the same. Take up your cross and follow me. It might not be easy. It might, it's a terrible cross to bear. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't bear it because everyone has a cross that we're called to bear. All of us have a cross that we're called to bear. All of us at one moment in time have to say, am I going to believe the Lord or am I going to believe the liar? Because there's a better design. What kind of a God would say, deny yourself? This God. The kind who, Philippians 2, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. 
You know, Jesus is the greatest gift humanity has ever received. Because what Jesus did is that curse that humanity walked under the moment, and Eve, we can't blame Eve, we would have done it too. The moment we took that fruit and we stepped in there, we do it every day. And some of you right now in this place are sitting here thinking, man, I took that fruit last night. But Christ came to set us free. And here's the beauty about our Lord. I, I got like another five pages of notes, but we're not, it's time to finish because we need a Q&A. But Christ has come that we might know that the curse is broken and that we might know that he makes all things new. And there's this incredibly beautiful gift that God has offered us in Christ. Grace is not something to be abused. Like grace is free, but it's not cheap, right? It costs the son of God his life. And so we're not called to abuse grace and just carry on doing whatever we want to go. Ah, live under grace. No, 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 no. Grace is a gift that we have been given. And so we don't come to it lightly. We come to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we come to Christ and we come under his authority, as we choose to rest in him, as we come from death to life in him, what happens is our, we, we have a new nature. It says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means whom the sun sets free, they are free indeed. Do you know what that means? All those soul ties, every single soul tie that you have built up over the years, Christ washes it clean with one drop of his blood. And there's consequence for action. You can't take back what has happened, but you can walk in renewal. And I just believe so powerfully in the amazing gift of what God has done for us in Christ, that he has redeemed virginity. He's actually redeemed it. He's actually washed it clean. He says, you are new. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. And this is the grace that we live in. And then he says that he has given us his spirit. He gives us his spirit that we might actually go in the power of grace and live that out. Live daily in that new creation, knowing that we go to bed with the cross and we wake up with the empty tomb. We wake up with his mercies new every morning and day by day his spirit is working to sanctify his people and draw us closer to him and make us more like him that's what you've been looking at all week discipleship apprenticeship that's what discipleship is it's apprenticeship and an apprentice spends their days looking at their master and the goal is that by the time they finish the apprenticeship they're just like them that's what discipleship is. We walk daily with Christ by His grace and by the power of His Spirit. And day by day, we're becoming more like Him until that final day when He will come and we will be raised to life with Him and we get to take every crown and lay it at His feet and just be like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for setting me free from the curse of sin and death. And I want you to know that in that grace is an empowerment. The Bible says we have everything we need for life and godliness. That means by His grace and by His Spirit, He has given you the power to look the liar in the face and say, get lost. He's given us the grace. He's given us His Spirit to cut the right hand off. And so if you... 
Can I keep going? <laughs> I've gone so over time. <laughs> I just want to, if you're struggling with pornography in this place, if you have a screen in your room, it's a very, just get rid of the screen in your room. Yeah, in the moment of strength, when the liar is silent, that's the time to make decisions. Get rid of the screen. If the screen is a constant struggle for you, get rid of your phone. Buy a dumb phone. You can still buy them and you will still be able to communicate with people. If you have a computer, put it in the lounge room around people. If you know that your weakness is after 10.30 p.m., go to bed at 10 o'clock. Like this is what Jesus says when he says, cut the right hand off. He's actually saying, recognize the triggers, recognize where the lie is strong and where the temptation is strong and do everything in your power to cut that off and then trust me to give you the strength. Because he will always give us a way out. He promises it in scripture. You will not be allowed to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always give us a way out. There will always be a thought right at the last minute that says, don't you dare do that. Because there's the Lord saying, I haven't made you for that. And the liars are going, do it! Do it! And the whisper is going, I haven't made you for that. Who will you listen to? Who will you listen to? Who will you listen to? The Lord or the liar? I probably need to stop. So we're going to pray. And we'll have a Q&A. And we might get more out than that. <laughs> Would you stand to your feet? Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room and I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are listening on a podcast. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's five years from now. But I thank you, Lord, that you have given us your plan and your design clear as a bell in the pages of your prophetic word. I thank you that you have not left us without witness that you have shown us why you made this glorious gift. You have shown us the power of this gift for growing a family unit, for building culture and society and healthy nations. You have shown us what this is for and that it's wonderful, but you have also revealed why it's causing so much pain. And so, Lord, I just pray for any person in this room right now who's experiencing that pain. I pray for people, maybe there's someone in here who's the product of a broken home. Maybe there's someone in here who's the product of a, a father or a mother who have chased after the fruit instead of honoring a covenant. And I just pray that they would not allow that curse to define their identity. That they would not allow that action to dictate their future, that they don't become just the next generation in the line of that sin. No, they are making a stand right here, right now, this day to say, I will follow the Lord. 
as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I thank you that your promises are good. I thank you that your mercies are great. We love you, Lord. Lord, I just pray for those people who are struggling with the lust of the eyes and the pride of the flesh. Lord, we just pray right now for an anointing of your spirit to come. Father, I pray that there would be no condemnation from tonight. This is not meant to be a message that heaps condemnation or guilt. No, 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 no. That's a lie of the enemy. No, what we receive is the message of hope, that there's a better way. And that you've made a way for us to walk in that way. You've opened the door for us to walk in freedom. And that way to walking in freedom is by first walking in repentance. By first bowing the knee, not to the liar, but to the Lord. To say, I know your ways are good. I thank you that you came for me. And Father God, take me, use me, wash me clean. I just declare new natures in this room right here, right now, that you would actually wash images from minds, that the images are gone in Jesus' name. They're gone in Jesus' name. Purity, purity. I see white sheets everywhere. It's pure. Thank you, Jesus, for the power of your blood. How precious is the blood of Jesus. That makes me white as snow. We just declare that freedom in this place freedom 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 and the only response we could possibly have walking in that freedom knowing our sinful nature and how prone we are to listen to the lie the only response we have is worship the only response we have is just to praise your name to lift your name on high to sing glorious praises to just give you an offering of thanks for all that you have done for us lord we love you we praise you and we thank you In the precious and mighty name of Jesus and all God's saints said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope someone here will be brave to ask a question or put forward a thought or whatever. For us, we won't keep you much longer but I just wanted to something that's burning on my heart and something I've thought of over the over the years you know I think there's a lot of negativity that's been spoken over this growing generation and I guess I look at a lot of you that are probably born in this millennium am I right many born in the 90s still or mostly early 2000s is that right um and I think you know growing up in the age that you are with just all the stuff blowing up on the internet and iPhone and all the challenges that are unique to this generation that no one else has faced. And I think the intensity of the battle around sexuality and identity and all this, and I think it can feel overwhelming. Like, And I know for probably a lot of the older generation, looking at that, looking at what you have to deal with, that sense of intimidation and of like, whoa, like they don't stand a chance. You know, like I think there's that vibe or that sense from people of just like, whoa, like the intimidation of fear, the intimidation of sin and of of the liar because his message is so loud and so pervasive. But I really believe, and I want to speak this over you guys tonight, that your generation is one that will recognize the truth from the lie and be so fed up with the junk 
and take a stand that's greater and more powerful than the generations that have gone before that have allowed all that to come in and go, we don't want this junk. We're done with this. And I really believe your generation will be one that rises up in righteousness and purity and reclaims and pronounces the beauty of God's plan and his ways and embraces purity, embraces holiness and says, we've seen what this other way is. We've seen the fruit of that life and we don't want it for ourselves, for our marriages, for our children. We are ushering in a new generation that is going to stand for God's ways and his word. And I really believe that. I see that, that hunger and that desire for something better and something more. And I really want to encourage you guys like not to, not to let any of that negativity or intimidation or whatever gets spoken that's negative, like whatever, there's a lot of negative words spoken, but I really believe this generation is powerful and equipped to recognize and to stand for truth and righteousness. So do that. Any thoughts or questions anyone wants to throw to Dave? Yep, Corey. Um, that's good. The first thing I would say is keep walking with them because what they need is is a spiritual uncle. Like we've got a lot of their spiritual fathers out there and they've got their brothers and sisters who they're walking with, but what young people need is that spiritual uncle who's just that little bit older, that little bit wiser, that little bit cooler who's prepared to just keep running the race with them and that's the biggest thing run the race with them run the race when they when they fall just be there to pick them up and just to love on them and and help them and continue to speak truth um continue to speak truth the other thing i would say is like i think we need to speak more into that cutting the right hand off stuff we've actually got to be brave enough and bold enough to go like every kid these days is my son's in grade five and like 50 percent of his mates have smartphones now, we need to understand the danger that that's doing. And there's a great book written by a guy called Brad Huddleston called Digital Cocaine. And it's talking about what's shaping children's minds. And we actually need to start teaching this. So in youth ministry, we actually need to start teaching it. Like, I know that we want to teach, um, we don't want to offend people again, but we actually have to talk about the stuff that's going on in their world because that's what's most relevant to them. And right now, you walk into a school and every single high school kid has a smartphone. And I can, Garrett, what was the stats we heard the other day around porn? Like 90% of 10-year-olds have had their first pornographic experience. 10 years old. My son's about to turn 10. And that's because all these kids have phones. They're all given it. And what's happening is, is they're walking around, they're, they're just searching stuff. And then all of a sudden, oh, what's that? And then, oh, what's that? And what's that? And then they're showing their mates. And their mates are like, Whoa! And before we know it, it's there. So I would say whoever's teaching at youth needs to start talking about this stuff. So teach it, walk with them, and show them love and grace. Someone once said to me when I was a young man struggling with this, you know, in a big way, he said to me, if you stumble, stumble in his direction. If you fall, fall to your knees. And that's, I still remember that today, one of the most powerful words that's ever been spoken over my life. If you stumble, stumble in his direction. If you fall, fall to your knees. Um, and I have spoken that over countless young people because that fundamentally, what the liar wants us to do is he wants us to go down that. He then wants to heap guilt on us. He wants us to feel shame. He wants us to go back into the dark place. And it's where the dark place is that we get more and more down the rabbit hole. But when 
we feel the freedom to actually bring that darkness into the light and the light consumes the darkness and they can begin to walk in freedom. So cut the right hand off, teach boldly into that space and parents need to learn it too. We need to be preaching this to parents that parents would know, don't be an idiot Stop giving 10-year-olds phones. And we go, oh, no, but it's got restrictions on it. Excuse me, they know how to figure stuff out. Right? They're pretty switched on this day and age. And we're building in them by giving them this digital device. We're building in this connection. Can you imagine if someone came from 2,000 years ago and they walked into a room right now and they saw 95% of people doing this, what would they say? They'd say, what's the name of your God? Because what you're doing is worshipping. Because your head's bowed and you're just spending hours. <laughs> so I think, yeah, so there's education's key. Um, but I actually think drastic, you know, you talked about fellowship and community. In our church, we, talk, we have this word belonging. And we talk heaps about belonging. The idea that we're called to run the race with perseverance. And the whole point of that is that you run it together. And I just love that image of if I'm running by myself, what happens is I start to fatigue. I start to lose my way. I go off track. But then Sam comes along and he just puts his arm around me. He's like, ah, you got this, bro. Come on, you can keep running. And then we both start to tire and fatigue. And then Lockie comes over and he's like, ah, no, 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 no. You're good, guys. Let's keep going. And then Shane comes over. And when you're running together, you have strength. When you're running alone, you're a target. You're very vulnerable. And I wonder if it's actually time for us, like, you know, as a, we've got a bunch of guys who meet on a Friday morning and we pray every Friday morning. Just that accountability is huge because we know that we're going to ask questions of each other. We're journeying together. Um, but you could, I think that's what we need to start doing. Like speak into it, teach it. And then as a group of people, go, we're going to cut the right hand off. And I'm not going to tell you to do it. I'm going to do it with you. And we're going to hold each other accountable and run this race together. And if we stumble, we'll stumble in the right direction. If we fall, we'll fall to our knees. Great question. Keep the door open. Take the door off. <laughs> Um, that, that's a great question. Uh, so, I, by the grace of God, my wife and I managed to not have sex before we were married. Um, we pushed some boundaries that we originally said we didn't want to push, and by the grace of God, you know, we repented and and moved um, forward from that. But one of the some of the stuff we did when we were like, nah, we need to honour each other, we need to honour God, we need to walk in purity, was we didn't go into each other's bedrooms. That was just that's. Only bad stuff's happening when that happens. Full stop. Like, and by bad stuff, in marriage, it's good stuff. <laughs> it's wonderful stuff. And if you, like, yeah. When you can wait till marriage, it's just a glorious thing. So it's good, but wait. It's good, but it's better in the right setting. So don't go into each other's bedrooms I got
you do? You go to the cupboard to start opening it up. And I think another helpful thing I would say is finishing a day at a particular time. So we knew that past 10.30, not, not a, yeah, past, past 10.30 is, <laughs> but for us, 10.30 was usually when everyone else started to go to bed or leave or whatever and, um, Sometimes there was great conversation, but I'm like, we can pick that conversation up tomorrow. And we'll have that conversation then. So those two little things for us were, were huge. Yeah, I think it's really good to stay in group settings and maintain your friendships with other people as well through the dating season. It can be very easy to just sh- be the two of you, um, but to, to do invite other people into your friendship and your relationship, like do things as groups stay connected to the wider community, try not to isolate off, um, because you have the rest of your life usually in marriage where you're just like the two of you at home, it's like, well, you can, you know, <laughs> get out and keep cultivating those friendships. But I also just want to encourage, especially the men, that this is one area where so often you hear that it's the, the woman that's trying to kind of it's like it's on the woman's shoulders to hold the boundaries of purity in the relationship. And, you know, this is part of being a man and a part of your God-given strength is actually, I believe the men are called to be the ones that set the, set the boundary high and keep it. And it's an act of love and protection to your woman and to, your, to, to honor your relationship. Say, I love you and our future relationship so much. I am going to use my strength to protect us and I'm not going to put you under any pressure or under any obligation to cross any boundaries that we've said we're not going to cross. Like you as a man, you lead in that. Don't leave it to the woman because women are designed to be responders. When you love your man, you are designed to respond to their love and affection towards you. And it's actually harder for the woman, I believe, than the man to hold that boundary because there's such a drive to respond. And that's something I have so much respect and honor for Shane because he did that in our relationship. He set the boundary so high at times it annoyed me. Um, (laughs) We didn't kiss until the day we got engaged. And even then he was like, I want to kiss you, but not yet. And I'm like, if not now, when? Um, And I kind of made the move and we ended up kissing that, that day. But, um, and, you know, there was a couple of months where kissing was a part of our relationship, but we went, we had an Easter camp, so we got engaged in January, we had an Easter camp, we were both leading on it, Shane said, you know, I think, let's not, let's not kiss while we're at this camp, that would be kind of, you know, and I was like, yep, sure, cool, and then on the way home, I, I had this feeling this was going to happen, he's like, you know what, I think we shouldn't kiss again until we get married, it's like, oh, I was really looking forward to kissing again, um, but he set that, he set that boundary, and you know, now I realize so much more. I, I didn't fully understand them, but what Shane sowed into our relationship was trust. And he pr- proved himself to be an honorable man who respected me, respected us, kept that, you know, I was the weaker one. You know, I was the one that wanted to go there more than, well, I know that he wanted to, but like he was able to hold to that better than I was. And he led us in that. 
And because of that, I had so much greater respect and a sense of safety. And I was just saying this to these guys before, like, if you as a man, you, you know, you have a drive, you have a desire to have sex, and that's a good desire. Um, if you can submit to God in that, and you can put the, the best interest of your wife or wife-to-be in, you know, you have that first, you know, like that's that's a powerful act. You're acting like Jesus to her. You're you're putting you're laying down your desires. You're putting her first, and you're walking in love and you're walking in strength. And that's true manliness. And the world says it's manly to you know have a conquest to have experiences. That's a lie. And what it will actually do is undermine your enjoyment of sex as a couple for the rest of your marriage potentially. You know, there's room, there's healing, there's hope, there's redemption. We can repent and be restored. But I think there's so many marriages that it's actually the resentment, the hurt, the sense of betrayal, the sense of, you know, goes from in marriage becomes a resistance to how you always hear like, oh, they've stopped having sex. They're not, you know, intimate like they once were. Or there's he wants to, she doesn't. And I think so much of that is a sense of how can I be vulnerable with someone I don't trust? And who didn't protect me. And and it's a short season of restraint that can lead to just a lot of joy and freedom for many years to come. And so it's like having the wisdom to see the big picture. In Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes it says there's a season, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain. You show your love to one another in the dating engagement season by your restraint. After marriage, you show your love by your embrace. If you if you try and take, if you try to embrace for love beforehand, you're actually robbing yourself of the enjoyment later. If you've been able to exercise and show restraint and self-control with one another, and you know that you're trustworthy, yeah, it builds trust for later. So yeah, when there's those seasons or different things, you don't you're not eaten up with worry or anxiety. We didn't, we weren't able to have self-control then. Maybe they're not having self-control now you know, and it, it, it feeds doubt, it feeds insecurity, so if you want your relationship to be strong, you know, see the big picture, you want a strong, beautiful relationship, restraint, self-control, it's a powerful, it's a powerful thing. It's actually really helpful, like, when you are alone with your um, boyfriend, girlfriend, it's like you're boarding a train, go with me on this analogy for a minute, you board the train, but it's a stationary train. As soon as you start to do anything like kiss, then that train starts to pick up speed. That train has a destination. Like you are completely wired as male and female to have sex. So as soon as that train starts picking up speed, you either go with the flow and stay on that train as it goes faster and faster towards having sex, or you jump off. It is so much easier to get off a train when it is stationary and you haven't made that first move than when it starts to, you know, get some speed and then you've got to disembark a moving train. While that might sound exciting, <laughs> it's not. It's hard. So, yes, there was restraint from me, but it's just wisdom as well. It's going, this is going to make it easier and easier can be helpful. Sorry, just encouraging that. Uh, absolutely. 
100%. You might as well just preach if you're right, right there and then. But abs- that is fundamentally the Christian faith, is that uh, when we are weak, he is strong. And this is, this is why Christ came, because we can't do this on our own. And we can muster all the might and courage that we want to muster, but the lie of the enemy, he's very, very good at what he does. He's been at it since the beginning of time. He knows, you know, if, if Google and all these things know every detail about us and can twist and turn everything to get us to look and buy stuff, how much more can the devil, <laughs> you know? And he's good at what he does. And so we need a saviour. We need Christ. We need the Spirit of God at work in our lives. And this is the beauty, is his mercies are new every morning. I love that saying, we go to bed with the cross and we wake up with the empty tomb. Every morning, that's our reality. We wake up with an empty tomb. You know, we've died to sin, we've awake to righteousness. And if you're in Christ, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What can separate us from the love of God? Let's just keep quoting scripture. Like, it's amazing. And that, and that brings us such joy because I go, oh, thank you, Lord. And we get to walk in that. Um, he's called a saviour for a reason. He's called a saviour for a reason. And it's important that in all of this we keep him right there. I think that's something I'd add also to that is um, Shane and Christy mentioned boundaries. What was helpful for us is we actually changed our language from boundaries, like coming under a boundary. Because what we found was whenever we made a boundary, our nature wanted to do this. So what we decided was that we wouldn't, we wouldn't come under a boundary, we would build on a value. And so by building on a value, this is what changed the game for us. It all became about, well, I want to sow this into your life and I want to see you grow in God in this and you want to see that in me. Joe wanted to speak biblical manhood over my life. She wanted to, to see me become the man God was creating me to be and I want to see her become the woman God was creating her to be. And as we decided that, let's build on value, there was no longer a boundary to go up to and look over. What it became was, it became, is this, you're a daughter of the king. And for me, this has changed, like, since when you become a father, everything changes in this regard. Like, all of a sudden, you know, when images come, I just put my daughter's face on it, and I think, is, like, that's someone's daughter. And so that's a very helpful tool as a father, I think. But it's that I want to I sow something into my relationship. I want to speak something over you um, and build on something, build on this biblical value that Christ loves you and we're going to walk in that. So I think that was helpful for us too. bit too on what Jill raised like like you said his mercies are new every morning and at whatever point you found yourself in boundary sexuality what it's not like anything's wasted it's not like oh well I've gone there that's it you know that ship has sailed no like come to God come to repentance you know it it 
can still make the world of different. He's the God of redemption and restoration of trans, you know, turning something that's a mess into something beautiful. And if you come to him in repentance and go, God, you know, I want to walk your way. I haven't been and I want to. You can begin building into your relationship, into your future, into and and do, you know, God will work with you and do something amazing and beautiful and write a beautiful redemption story. So there's no one that's, you know, shut out from God's plan for their life. Every day is a new day. Every day is an opportunity to walk in freedom, to follow after him. There's nothing wasted, anything from your past that's happened. He can turn around and use it for great good and use it for a powerful ministry to affect and bless the lives of others. You know, at the end of the day, it's about coming closer to him and walking in intimacy with him. It's not about, oh, tick, I've done all the right things and I've not had sex before marriage. That's not what it's about. It's about not violating relationship. It's about staying close to God, not doing things that hurt him, not doing things that hurt one another. So at any point, if something's happening and, you know, it's causing harm to someone you love, like, it's never too late to stop that. It's always a good time. All right, you know, done that. I'm sorry. We're going to walk in a different direction now. It's never too late to make a new start. And God's about new beginnings and, and fresh starts. And he empowers us to do that, to walk as he walks. So certainly never want to give a sense of oh yeah this is the way if you haven't done that bad luck you've missed out not at all and I'm sure we've all heard stories of amazing you know turnarounds in people's lives um but his ways are so good and if you haven't made those mistakes or you haven't gone down these certain paths just want to exhort you to continue on that path and be encouraged that there's great blessing for following his ways um so let me pray and release you. Father, thank you that you are so good and you have such good gifts for us, that you want the best for us. You want abundant life for us. Father, help make us wise to discern good from evil, that we wouldn't confuse like Eve did, something, think something's good that you've actually said is not good, Um, and that we would value and cherish one another, that we treat each other with love, that we put one another first, above our own feelings and desires, that we'd seek the best of other people above ourselves, that we'd seek to emulate your example of laying our lives down for one another. And I pray a particular blessing all the men here tonight, Lord, that they would capture your vision for husbands, for godly men, and they would recognize this true strength and, and courage to walk in that that you would strengthen and equip them to be a man that advocates for women, that protects women in public and behind closed doors. God, I thank you for a, a, a generation of godly men that shine who you are to the world around them. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. And I pray each one would go out tonight feeling encouraged, feeling hope, feeling excited for the future and for your and for your good news in every area of their lives. And I pray blessing over Sam and Dave as they leave here tonight. Thank you for what they've brought and the blessing they've brought to us. In Jesus' name, amen.